0: Today, on Bread for the Broken, with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. Isn't it humbling to know that even in like my stubbornness, God can still work out His plans within my life, and sometimes He'll even still use me in the midst of my stubbornness to help somebody else out. Now, the best thing is always to follow Him. And just to do what he says. Here's Esther. She's like, I can't go talk to him. And Mordecai's like, Dude, if you don't, you and I are for sure dead. The two of us are we're goners. So why not take the chance?
0: Have you ever been stuck in your stubbornness, or maybe have you ever avoided something that you know is going to help because you're headstrong? In today's message, Pastor James wants you to know that despite your stubbornness, God is going to use you in mighty ways. Whether you want to be used by Him or not, He's going to find a way to further His kingdom through you. Submit to God's calling for your life and let Him work through you in powerful ways. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Esther chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: So this is where we believe Haman is basically a snake. That's what he is. He's conniving because what he's doing is he's manipulating the king. The king has come back. He's suffered a military defeat. He suffered two military defeats, which means he's lost a lot of money, also a lot of respect. So he's basically, we don't know where he's at on the you know, with his you know, bank account, if he's broke or not. But Haman's like, hey, king, listen, there's a group of people that live amongst our people. Haman's not even Persian. He's not even Persian. Or well, let's not forget that. He's an Eggite Ag- or whatever you say that. He's an Amalekite. He's not from Persia. He's not a native there. But he's trying to manipulate the king of like, there's these other people. Well, Haman, you're technically related to those people. <laughs> technically, you're related to them because, you know, well, I mean, they're, you know, you're common denominator was the brother of their common denominator. So, I mean, if you want to argue uh, the details, you guys all go back to this basically the same guy, but whatever. He's like, there's people who live here, they're bad guys. They don't respect you. They don't obey you. So what you should do is kill them. Just kill them. And, And if you do this, I'll collect the money and I'll deposit it into your personal bank account, Xerxes. And Xerxes being the good king is like, yeah, go for it, right? And you're like, wait, aren't you going to ask questions? Hey, who are these people? These certain race of people, who are they? That's what a good king would ask. That's what a good leader would ask. What law are they breaking of mine? And is this true of all of them in 127 provinces? Or is this really just an issue between you and one other person? See, that's what, those are questions good leaders ask. They probe. They get down to the heart of the matter. Xerxes is like, money? Cool. Do it. Right? He's like, there's no thought process here, which means, again, he's not a great leader. He's just not a great leader at all. It says, verse 10, he, he agrees, confirming this decision by removing his signet ring from his finger, giving it to Haman, the son of uh, Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. That's the key, right? He is the enemy of the Jews. The king said, The money and the people are both yours to do as you see fit. Now, notice the order that he places the two of those things. The money, first mention, top, okay, and the people. Second mention, I don't care about them as much as I care about the money. There's a, a reason behind the order there. He's like, you do whatever you want with them. I trust you. Here's my ring. Make the law. Sign it. Seal it. And remember, in, in Persia, with the Medes and the Persians, once it's set into law, you cannot change it. There's no going back. So on April 17th the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman had uh, dictated and it was sent to the king's highest officers the governors of respective provinces the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages the decree was written in the name of the king Xerxes or in the name of king Xerxes and sealed with his signet ring dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of uh, of the empire giving the order that all the Jews young old Women, children must be, get this, must be killed. Oh, that's not enough. Must be killed. Must be slaughtered. Oh, that's not enough either. Must be annihilated on a single day. On a single day. It sounds a lot like the modus operandi of the devil, to kill, still, destroy. It has the same feel to it. This is what was issued, and they—they they have. Um, it says it was scheduled to happen on March seventh of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them, thus giving a little bit more motivation. Why do we? Why? Why would I want to kill my neighbor? Oh well, you get all this stuff. It's going to show the the moral compass of a lot of these people in a few chapters down the road. Once we see what actually happens, but um. That's the decree that was sent out. And uh, just a little side note, the uh, Persian postal system was phenomenal. It was an amazing system. Uh, and I can't remember who, if it was Cyrus or Darius, one of those two guys set this up. And it is like world-renowned, like they were like Amazon Prime before Amazon Prime, right? They're like, next day delivery, we got you covered. 127 provinces, no problem, right? Um, Sometimes our postal system could learn some lessons from those guys. I think I'm still missing Mel six years later, like whatever. Um, They had a great postal system, and this goes out to all throughout the land, and verse 14, it says, a copy of this decree was to, be, was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all people, all people, so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was, uh, was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa, because that's where the story is happening. That's the, uh, what I learned is that that's like the winter palace where uh, xerxes would hang out okay then the king and haman sat down to drink of course they did because that's what they that's well that's where the story started with xerxes right like you you need to stop drinking buddy you have to this is a problem for you here they are they're going to recline they're going to drink but the city of susa fell into confusion another highlight of this guy is a bad leader xerxes he doesn't know his people he doesn't know his people he thinks like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's sign it, seal it, deliver it, all that good stuff. And people in his own town are like, why are you doing this? I don't want to kill my neighbor. Why is this a law? How, what channels did this? Who read this thing before it was signed? Like, how has this been? And they're just sitting back completely oblivious because they're so disconnected from the people. Sound familiar? Yeah. Welcome to America so disconnected from the people, signing things into law that like, how is this getting signed? How is this getting snuck into these 14,000 page things? Like what in the world is going on? You don't care about the people. No, they don't care about the people. Xerxes doesn't care about the people. Because if he did, he would have taken a step. He would have taken another day and said, let me think about this. He, He doesn't, he's, all he's thinking about is like, man, I'm broke. I just got my booty kicked by Greece. And it seems like they're coming for me. So, and I need more money. And this is a solution. And all they care about is money. Money equals power. Money equals power. I mean, that's, we see that in our world today. Countries moving in on other countries. Why? Because of money, because of power, because of control, because of oil and resources. And we will go and we'll take and plunder and all that stuff. Because why? Because that makes us the big bully on the block. That's what Xerxes is here. He's like, he's one of those guys. He's just a bad leader. He's a, he's a horrible leader. And the story just flows. Like, it just really flows like crazy. Because in verse 4, we, we want to know, like, well, what about our main characters? Like, how do they feel about this? 4 just gives us a good summary of what, what Mordecai, what he hears and how they respond to it, which really sets up a, it'll set us up for a good break. But look at verse 1 of 4. Chapter 4, it says, Mordecai learned about all that had been done, okay? So his response is, he tears his cloth, his clothes, tears his cloth, he tears his clothes and put on burlap and ashes. That's a sign of mourning. It's also, it also can be connected to repentance at times, but it's a, it's a display of mourning as well, all right? And he went out to the city crying with a loud, bitter wail. He went as far as the gate, the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate wearing clothes of mourning. And uh, because Xerxes wants no sad people in his presence, right? No sad people. Mordecai is moved. He's moved by this news. And it says, as news of the king's decree reached the provinces, there was a great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. So they are like, and probably for a lot of these Jews, they're kind of woken up in one sense of like, because what we understand is, some of these Jews may have been following God and continuing on with their religious practices and all that good stuff, but there's not a lot of evidence that that happens. Again, God's name is not mentioned in this book at all, in the book of Esther, in this story. Now they're like, put on the, the burlap, burlap and the sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes and all that good stuff. Verse four, it says, when Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed and she sent clothing to him to replace the burlap. But he refused it. She's like, dude, take those clothes off. He's like, you don't get it. No, I'm not going to change my clothes. Take off those clo- that clothing of mourning and put on some happy clothes. He's like, no, now is not the time to celebrate. Now's not the time to be happy. Now's the time to mourn. In case you don't know, Esther, a decree, a law has been issued to kill us. He's going to enlighten her, so to speak. Esther sent for uh, Hathach, uh, if that's how you say his name, I don't know. Um, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to as her attendant, she ordered him to, uh, to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him. So she has no idea what's going on and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susha that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. So he also asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathach to go back. You get this back and forth thing going on here. Hathach is probably like, He's probably in good shape, you know, now because he's like running up and down. He's doing stairs now, um, you know, all this stuff. He's like, man, come on! Like, can't you just shout it out the window? Can't you guys talk to each other like that? No. Um, so he runs back down to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die, unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for thirty days. Wait, you're the chosen one, Esther. You're the most beautiful in all the land, and you haven't seen your husband in a month because he hasn't called her. What's what's been going on? I don't want to know. But sometimes being picked the best doesn't always mean it's the best situation, especially within these circumstances where you got a king and he's got like you know four hundred women in his harem. It may be some time before you actually get to see your husband kind of a thing. Plus, they didn't really invite her. He wasn't going to invite her in in the daily dealings and all that good stuff. But if you try to approach the king without being invited in, then the law was for you to be killed on the spot. On the spot. doesn't matter if you're the queen or not. It doesn't matter. You have to be invited in by him. And she's like, I haven't even seen the dude in a month. Like, and you want me to go talk to him? are you crazy, Mordecai? This could cost me my life. And he's like, newsflash, you're gonna die. Your life's already on the line. Because uh, let me remind you of who you are, Esther. You're a Jew. Verse 13, Mordecai sent his reply to Esther, don't think for a moment. I love this. Do not think for a moment that because you're, you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. This is like one of those, like, come to Jesus meetings with, between Mordecai and Esther. And he's like, hold on, Esther. Don't think you're protected because you're not. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews, I love this, faith by Mordecai, will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives, i.e. me, <laughs> right? Because he's the only one she has as far as we know will die. Esther, you've been pl- put in this position. You've been placed here by God. And he's going to, he's going to go on to say it's the most, one of the most famous quotes uh, from the Old Testament. For such a time as this. Like, Esther, God has placed you here. Don't think you're going to be spared, because you will not be spared. But, but here's, I love Mordecai's his little insertion there of like, oh, I'm not worried about the Jews, because God will deliver his people, because God has always delivered his people. But Esther, he wants to use you to do this. If you don't want to be used by him, he will pick somebody else. And you will suffer because of it. Not because God's mean or cruel, but the issue, the the edict is to destroy all the Jews. And Esther, you're a Jew. You and I will die. Doesn't mean everybody's going to die because God knows how to step in at the right moment to rescue his people. He always has. But isn't this a really cool thing that there are moments in time on the historical timeline where God, it seems like nothing's, I mean, our backs are against the wall and there's just no way out. There's no way out. And God steps in at the last minute. And sometimes he lets you and me be a part of the equation. That's amazing when you think about it. There's literally nothing all that special about Esther. I mean, she's an attractive lady. Okay, she had that going for her. That's cool. She gets out of a lot of tickets, I guess. Right? Like I get lots of free drinks, all that fun stuff. There's a, there's something that there. But beyond that, she's an orphan girl raised by her cousin, and she's Jewish. And, and most or a percentage, a smaller percentage of their people move back to Israel to rebuild. And and these guys stayed back in a place that's not their home. It's not their home. And even God can use that to, to be a part of the equation to bring salvation for his people. It's amazing. I, I hope that encourages you because there may be moments within your life in following him where you haven't made the best decisions. And he may have said, I want you to go here. And you're like, I think I'm just going to stay right here. Isn't it humbling to know that even in like my stubbornness, God can still work out his plans within my life? And sometimes he'll even still use me in the midst of my stubbornness to help somebody else out. Now, the best thing is always to follow him and just to do what he says. Here's Esther. She's like, I can't go talk to him. And Mordecai's like, dude, if you don't, you and I are for sure dead. The two of us are, we're goners. So why not take the chance? Why not go for it? And he he finishes that, that verse there. Verse 14, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. I mean, that's just like, I know that's one of the most popular sayings and famous sayings in the Old Testament, but when you read that, you're just like, holy cow, there is such gravitas, such weight to that statement. It's amazing. It's an amazing one. No wonder why it's quoted all the time. And that's coming from little Mordecai. His name means he's, he's a little Jewish guy. And it's just at the right moment. And it's almost as like the, the Lord himself has given Mordecai this word to communicate to Esther. And it's going to inject courage into her soul. I wrote down this quote next to this verse from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, it is always the right time to do what is right. I love that quote from him. It is always the right time to do what is right. And that relates to this, where Mordecai is like, listen, Esther, you're the queen. And I think you're the queen because God put you there. And I think he did that because he knew what was going to happen. And this is your time. This is your moment. Verse 15, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Can you imagine? I can't even think of like what... This thatch guy is like, he's got to like recite all this stuff. So I'm sure he's getting like pretty pumped up and like fired up. And he's got like his, his, his like little hanky and he's wiping the sweat off his brow. He's like preaching a gospel message here. He's like, Woo! He's like, Esther, you got to do this. If you don't do it, I'll do it. He's like, that pumped up. That's kind of how I envision this guy is he's going back and forth delivering these messages. Her reply to Mordecai, verse 16 Go and gather together all the Jews of Susha or Susa and fast for me. Again, we, we see this in, in chapter 4. We saw this with the other Jews where they were fasting and, and they were displaying this uh, this mourning that was very uh, common within the Jewish nation, the, the sackcloth and ashes. Um, and fasting is another religious practice. Those are the only hints we get in this whole book of like, these guys and their religion at all. She's like, gather them all together and you guys fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days. Night or day, interesting, three days. That's, that's fascinating. That's an interesting little reference there of uh, three days later, he rose from the grave. It's pretty amazing. Um, spoiler alert, uh, Jesus won. Um, anyways, but three days, night and day, my maids and I will do the same. So she's incorporating her own, and her maids are probably Persian. She's bringing everybody in, right? We're all going in on this thing. And then she says, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Wow. Man, I don't care who you are. That's brave. Because if I'm in that position, I'd be like, well, you know, Mordecai, um, I wish you the best, um, but I'm going to play my cards. I think I'll be OK, right? <laughs> like, no, she's like, if I have to, if I have to die, then, then, then I die. If I have to die, then I die. That's brave. That's bold. That's courageous. That's amazing. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And so, and you see why we have to do three and four together, because we want to, we want to see this madman's on the loose and he's issuing this insane law. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Kill everybody? That doesn't make sense. But then this king, this guy who is not a good king, he's not a good leader, and he's just brainless in that sense, and he's, he's okaying these things to happen, and then word gets back to like, it, he is so clueless. He didn't even know his wife that he picked out of all of the young virgins in Persia is a Jew and they've been married for years now. Knows nothing about her. A husband knows nothing about his wife. Like that's crazy. That's not a healthy marriage. If you don't know your wife who you've been married to for years, where she comes from, you're not asking the right questions right? You're not asking any questions. Like, hey, so where's your family from? Usually that's date number one, right? Like, yeah, so tell me about yourself. None of that. He doesn't even know that this decree that he okayed directly affects him. Why? He's just so focused on the money, so focused on his, his own needs, his own wants, his own desires. He doesn't care about the people of his town. They're Even people within his palace are distressed within their brain. They can't process, like, why is this law? Why has this been created? What have they done? They didn't do anything to deserve this. Kill them all. Kill them all. But it's amazing when that word, even the the darkest of, of words, so to speak, can reach the right ears and the right heart of the right person, Who knows what to do within the moment that's a beautiful thing because the word gets back to mordecai and he's like what we need to do is pray and essentially that's kind of what's being said here we need to and we don't just need to pray what we need to do is we need to fast we need to go before the lord and ask him to move in a miraculous way we need him to intervene is what needs to happen um what they did back then is such a tremendous example of what we ought to be doing within our own nation. This should be our response to the confusing things that are tossed out there. I want to be like the maids within the story who Esther's like, hey, we're going to pray. Yeah, I'm not even a Jew. I'm not the thre- it's not even a threat to me. Yeah, cool. You're going to pray with me then. And that's what we ought to be doing for. We can complain all we want. Complaining does nothing. It accomplishes nothing. And it actually, it's just throwing gasoline on a fire usually, right? But praying, is, it's a supernatural thing. It's saying, you know what? You and I can't do anything about this, but we're connected to the one who can. And so let's call upon him. Mordecai and Esther are like, you and I can't really do anything about this, because the law has been set, and you can't change the law. But we're connected to the one who knows the way, who can do this supernaturally.
0: We've all heard the famous words that Mordecai spoke to Esther when he was encouraging her to talk to the king. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's a great rallying cry, and all of us long for those moments in time when we're right where we need to be to change the world. But don't forget, Esther was in the kingdom for many years before that time. God placed her there ahead of time and she was right where she needed to be in that exact moment. When you look at your life and wonder if you're in the right place, remember that God placed Esther ahead of time. She didn't know for years why she was there. God has placed you in the exact place that He needs you to be for a future purpose that you can't even imagine yet. Don't let the day-to-day get you down. He's always working. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the book of Esther in this series, and you won't want to miss a message. Mordecai was there to encourage and empower Esther, and we're here to do the same for you in your walk with Christ. You can find today's message and many others on our website breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that website is breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, check out how you can donate to Bread for the Broken and join us in spreading the good news. Our desire is that our listeners would find hope and new life in Jesus. We hope that that's what you found today and that we'll get to see you again next time here on Bread for the Broken.